Transform your home and make space for more fulfillment and joy. Get personalized help with transforming your home from a nationally recognized professional organizer. Are you ready to commit to making a lasting change? Presenting the Clear Space, Clear Mind virtual organizing sessions. Simply visit www.barbiejoe.com to book your session today and take advantage of 25% off spring cleaning offer, which expires the end of this month. Hi, this is Barbie Jo, and you are listening to Don't Get Lost in the Laundry. This is a show for busy moms and families where we talk about household order and function. We'll discuss tricks of the trade and systems to improve family life and managing a household. Joe here, and welcome to another episode of Don't Get Lost in the Laundry. Today, we are talking about how to stop yelling forever. That's right. And I'm talking about yelling at your children, yelling at your spouse, yelling in general. We are going to talk today with Sue. She is a parent mentor, child behavioral specialist, household harmony transformer, and author of an international number one best-selling book, Secrets to Parenting, without giving a bleep. She worked with parents for 20 plus years, helping them end tantrums, sidestep power struggles, eliminate the backtalk, neutralize sibling fights, and build a lifelong relationship of trust with kids. Her results-based, no-nonsense methods are the playbook to raising happy kids without public meltdowns, punishments, or yelling. So welcome to the show, Sue. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to this point in life. Thank you, Barbie Joe. Thank you so much for having me. I, I greatly appreciate it. Um, so a little bit about me. I think it's been covered pretty much in that bio. That sounded great. Thank you. Um that I'm, I'm a parent, you know, four children. Um, we started out with our first child and actually I should probably back up and say I was a reluctant parent. I never really thought of myself as having children until I met my husband and he just loves kids and wanted to have some kids. And I thought, well, this is the nicest thing I could ever do for anybody. Um, I'll, I'll have a child for you. <laughs> and then once we had our first child, uh, we tried for our second and I ended up dropping two eggs in one split and we ended up with natural triplets. So I was pretty much overwhelmed um, from the start. <laughs> Ever since those words came out of the technician's mouth, I was just... I took a deep breath in. I'm not sure I've exhaled since. And uh, I was also running my own business. I had built my own business before getting married. And my husband is in the military. So he deployed five times, um, went to war and um, just, you know, it was very, very overwhelming. And all of the things that I learned in terms of raising children and running an organized household and just getting behavior that we want from our children, um, I felt compelled to put that in a book and to mentor other parents as I was learning the tips, the, the tips and the tricks uh, that got results for me. Tell me, what's your best tip to stop yelling forever? Well, great question because that is 
what launched me into my parenting journey is that I'm a yeller. I'm Italian. I'm a New Yorker. I swear a lot. Um, and I'm just passionate about everything that I do. And so if I'm stressed combined with passion, I'm yelling. It got to the point where my throat actually hurt from yelling. That's so you say you're, you know, 10 to 20% yelling. I was 80% yelling because the kids just, it's, it's a lot of high energy and they weren't doing what I asked them to do. I had no idea that you had to be a mini psychologist to be a parent. Uh, so when I took my very first parenting class, I had four kids under four, again, running my own business and a husband at war. Uh, I felt completely justified in yelling. Um, I'm thinking with all of this that I have on my plate, of course I'm yelling. Why wouldn't I be yelling? Um, during the parenting class, the teacher just looked at me and said, well, how's that working for you? <laughs> and at that moment, I had to realize that it was not working for me. Um, I, I knew there was a better way, but I just didn't know what those ways were. So fast forward, um, experimenting, reading, having my own intuitive instincts, watching my kids' eyes glaze over as I yelled, I realized the one thing that was going to get me to change was, was me changing. It was me deciding that I needed to change my ways and I needed to be aware of what I was saying and how I was saying it for my kids to change. So when we're yelling, we're frustrated and we're in the moment. And I would say that my, my biggest piece of advice to stop yelling is to back up all of the behavior that you're experiencing. So in other words, with children, it's phase behavior. So many times what, what, what you want to do is you want to be preemptive and acting preemptively and expecting or anticipating behaviors allow you to expect that this is going to be said or this is going to be done. And, and now I'm prepared with a reaction as opposed to allowing myself to just be in that moment getting, uh, you know, allowing myself to be frustrated or, or have my buttons pushed. What's your number one secret to changing a child's behavior? Well, what you want to do is you want to ask yourself, first, you need to find out what it is that's triggering the yelling. Uh, and again, in my particular case, it was behavior that was repeated. So when we're yelling, typically we're yelling because the behavior is repeated, frustrating behavior. The child is saying certain things repeatedly, doing certain things. In in my particular case, my oldest was was looking to go into the huge playpen that we built for the for the triplets, and every time he went in, you know, the children were crying. So it's kind of taking stock of the behavior that you know that you're going to come to expect taking um looking at the big picture and understanding what is is triggering you to yell is it repeated behavior most of the time it's a repeated behavior because it's something that you're 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 yelling but if if it's a new issue typically we tend to have more patience with that if our child is upset or they're experiencing something negative, we tend to have more patience with those types of things. It's the repeated behaviors that really make us yell. So understanding that and taking stock of what behaviors trigger the yelling, then we can be prepared with our with our answer and with how we respond. So 
in the case of what was happening with us, our child was going in and making the other three cry. What I did was I backed up, I backed up that behavior that makes me yell and I, and I acted preemptively. So the next time he asked to go into the playpen, I anticipated that the children would cry and that's what made me yell. And I said, okay, you can go play with the kids, but if the children cry, what should we do about that? And I started to have my older son take uh, responsibility and accountability for the behavior that, that resulted from his making them cry. So in other words, he went in, made them cry. He needed to take accountability that that was um, creating stress on me and stress on the children. So when I said, do you want to go in and play with them? You can, but what are we going to do if they cry? So he just looked at me and said, well, I'll have to come out. And I said, okay. Sure enough, 30 seconds later, somebody was in there crying and I just the old me would have gone up and screamed, I, why are you always making them cry? Every time you go in there, you make them cry. That repeated behavior, I calmly was able to walk over and say, what did we agree to? We agreed that if you went in there and you made somebody cry, what was going to happen? And he just looked at me and said, I had to get out. And I said, that's right. And then I gave him the respect and uh, the trust to say, when you're ready, to not make somebody cry, then you may rejoin them. So he was now the guy that was taking accountability for his actions and deciding when he was ready to go back in and not make people cry. So it's really just those types of preemptive behaviors on repetitive stressors, just planning ahead of time and talking to your child and giving them that opportunity to take accountability for their behavior. But in the case of curfews, um, what we did was we had very, very few rules for the, our kids. We treated them with a lot of respect, but we had very few rules. And the rules that we did have were just not to be broken. Those were non-negotiable. And actually curfew was one of those rules. Um, and we, and we typically made it, um, you know, our rule that we had them come home 30 minutes before all of their friends, just because typically those extra 30 minutes, a lot of uh, crazy behavior usually occurred. So the kids ended up leaving before a lot of, um, a lot of the stuff that was going on that we didn't want them to be a part of was, was happening. So in the case of curfew or in the case of consequences, I try to make the consequence applicable to the behavior. Um, now, for you, that worked out great. They made their own consequence, and now you're getting you know, a, a home-cooked meal from the two of them, and they're learning how to cook, and it's a win-win situation. Um, now, you want to know if that is going to prevent them from breaking curfew again. So that would be my question is, do you feel that that was going to be beneficial to them not calling and to them just staying over without without seeking approval or without letting you know where they were doing preemptive behavior. So now if you see that this is something that they've done, maybe next weekend you'll say, okay, guys, just a reminder, curfew is X. What do you think, you know, if, if you don't call and you're not home on time, what do we want to do about this? We let's come up with a, a um, 
a curfew that works for, for everybody involved. And then when they are the author of their consequence or their, or their curfew or their rule, they are way less likely to break it than if they are being told. And again, teenagers are a whole different beast. It's a whole different mindset. Uh, but when you lay the foundation of respect and um, accountability when they're young at four, five, six, and seven, like we were talking about going into the playpen and allowing him the t- chance to say, if you go in, then what's going to happen if they cry? And him taking accountability of his behavior. And then not me telling him when he had to go back in. When you decide that you can play without somebody crying, then you may go back in. And that gives them the freedom within the boundaries. So I'm setting the boundaries, but they've got freedom within those boundaries. And that's the freedom that most kids want to have. But it's within the boundaries that I'm setting, within the parameters I as the parent am setting. When you create an environment like that in your home, even as young as four or five, by the time you get to be teenage years, you know, that then that that carries through and the child feels that respect and they don't want to let you down. And um, then you realize that most of the rules and most of the things that you decide together are joint decisions and they're things that work for, for everybody involved. And when that collaboration occurs, uh, there really is no need to yell. So the yelling... I guess to answer your original question, it's that backing up the behavior, it's the taking accountability and getting them in on the process. So it's freedom within your boundaries. And that is the way to prevent yourself from yelling and to just kind of calm your entire environment down and have kids who feel like they're respected and they have a freedom within the boundaries that you've established. What are some of the top things parents can do to get a child's behavior to change? Well, the number one way to change a child's behavior is to change yourself. And uh, when I wrote the book, I wrote the book in two parts. Um, The first half is your relationship with yourself. And the second half is your relationship with your child. The number one way to to make sure that you get a different behavior result from your child is to change yourself and have that awareness on yourself and that mirror on you to find out what am I saying? How am I saying it? How is this coming across? Is it respectful? Um, the, the foundation of the mentoring and the classes that I teach are that you know, the, the truth is that we're, we're taught we're bad parents if we can't change our child. And the truth is, and no one tells us this, is that to, to save the child, we have to change us, not control them. So I teach that we are not fixing our child's behavior, we're changing us. And as a result of that self-awareness, our child responds in kind. Um, so I, I think to, to change behavior it starts with us and our own awareness of making sure that we are looking at the situation from every possible decision, from every possible angle, and how are we approaching it? I think if we're not getting the result we want, ask ourselves, what else can we do? What else should we do? How else could we approach this? And we'd be surprised over how easy it is to just get a different result. So how do you help parents teach kids to make good decisions? So say the parent has already made that self-evaluation and changed. How do you then 
get your kids to make good decisions? It's all about uh, creating uh, an environment of trust and accountability. And it all ties into what we were originally talking about with how to, to stop ourselves from yelling. So it's, it's partnership parenting and it's um, having the conversations, just deciding jointly um, what the rules are, what, how it's going to work for all of us. If we're going to have a chore morning, uh, we're going to divide up some chores we don't like, some chores we do like. We're going to rotate. We're going to make this. Let's sit down and decide how this can become um, not necessarily fair, but how can it all get done where we all are contributing and we're all we're, we all have a, a, a part in the whole. Um, and so it's the way that I help the parent is depending on the situation and depending on the behavior that they're experiencing. It's how to approach the child in a different partnership type of way that results in them wanting to, to, uh, to help and to be contribute to the home. So it's, it's all in the, in the approach and it's certain phrases, it's giving choices and the freedom again, within the boundaries, having your, your boundaries, knowing that you create the culture of your home, but that making sure the child realizes that they have the freedom to make choices within those boundaries. For example, if you've got, you know, by the time the child is maybe 10 to 12, they've got to do mow the lawn for the weekend or, you know, it, it, it changes the, the timing changes. If you've got somebody 10 or older, say they have to mow the lawn, you tell them, I want the mow, the lawn mowed this weekend, but they have all weekend to get it done. Whereas when the child is a little younger, you might tell them you need to get your toys picked up and I'm going to stand over you while you do it. In other words, you know, as they get a little older, they earn a little bit more freedoms. But again, it's the freedom within the boundary that I'm establishing. So uh, to, to get the child's behavior to change, we have to ask ourselves, am I demanding this? Am I, um, what, how am I uh, asking for this to be done? What, what types of tactics am I using? Are, uh, how is my child responding? And I need to adapt to that to make sure that I'm getting my message through and to make sure that there's a partnership going on. If you're just telling your kids that you need it done, you, you, if you're one of those parents that says, do it because I said, which is what you know I had done and I had to learn my different techniques, um, then nobody really wants to respond under those types of circumstances. Sometimes we treat complete strangers with more respect than we do our own children. So uh, that that's really how I would do it. Okay. So I have a good question for you. Why shouldn't parents ground or take away phones? Because I know that is the go-to punishment. You know, that's the that's always the threat. You better do this or I'll take your phone away. So tell us, what can we do instead? Well, because controlling behavior doesn't work. And when you ground and you take away keys and you take away the, the nothing, no lesson is taught. Nothing is changed. There's no behavior changing. It's just restrictive behavior on the parent's part that the child now is, has an incentive to work around or to sneak or to lie or to figure out how to, um, you know, see that boy that they're not allowed to go see or see that friend that they're not allowed to go see. When you have restrictive behavior, um, it really doesn't do anything to change uh, to change the outcome of, of their behavior, especially with teenagers. And so I like any consequence to have a relationship to the behavior. When, when 
you think that you're going to take cars or keys or whatever. Now, what are the side effects of that? Are you, are you, how else will the child get to school? How else will the child get to work? That's why we had very few rules, but the rules that we had, we enforced. And that's why it worked for us to have the, the, uh, the curfew that that was my one few hard and fast rule that was not broken. So if, my child came home after curfew or they slept over my, their friend's house without calling or whatever it, the case may be. It became about the curfew and their curfew got busted back to nine. So they had to earn that trust back. So you're not teaching anybody anything by controlling and restricting behavior. There's no lesson learned. There's no incentive for that child to do what you're asking or to come back on time or to feel that trust from their parent when you're restricting. When you're partnership parenting and you have the consequence of, I'm sorry, obviously 11 o'clock is not a time that you're able to handle. We need to bust you back to nine until you earn that freedom again. We have very few rules for you, but the rules that we have are enforced and, um, you know, this is how this is going to work. We, we gave you a lot of trust and that wasn't, uh, that wasn't handled properly. So you must not be ready for it. And now you're coming home at nine and that's really embarrassing for them. And so the friends that we had and that my kids had that whose parents took keys and took restrictive measures and controlling measures just got more rebellious children. Those weren't partnership techniques where we're trying to work together for the better good to where I'm saying we need to honor the rules that we have. We need to come home on time. And when you can't do that, obviously you've been given too much freedom. We're going to dial that back until you're ready to earn that freedom again. And that just creates a culture of accountability as opposed to sitting in their room with no keys. Um, you know, if that worked, then I think there'd be a lot less rebellious teens, but it doesn't work. And so that's where I say you have to look at the relationship with yourself and ask yourself, if I'm getting repeated bad behavior and I'm taking their phone and I'm taking their keys and nothing is changing, what else can I do? And that's why I developed the partnership parenting methods that really helped solidify relationship of trust between me and my children to where they were willing to talk to me about almost everything. Okay, now dialing it back a little bit for the younger kids, why do you feel timeouts don't work and what does? Well, again, timeouts are a parent-directed uh, control mechanism and they they just don't teach. If, if the child is... Um, trying to think of an example, uh, they're not, they're not turning down the TV because you're saying, you know, please turn the TV down and they're just ignoring you. And now I've seen parents just knee jerk reaction. Okay. That's it. Time out. You know, and the, the child is directed to go sit somewhere or do something. And then they are stuck in that situation until the parent releases them. It's all control mechanisms that don't Children at every age need a little bit of self-control over themselves. They need some freedom to be able to make their own decisions. And setting the tone in the home of a scenario like, like in real life where your action results in a consequence, it's a, it's a natural consequence. Timeouts are not a natural consequence. and They don't teach anybody anything. They're just a knee-jerk reaction to saying, um, 
Joe Stan over there, you know, you weren't listening to me. You didn't turn the TV down. So TV off, go in the corner or go to your room. Uh, no behavior is changing. No dialogue is going on. No trust is being built. So how I handle all of that is, is that if I'm going to say in this particular case, ask him to turn the TV down and he doesn't listen to me, then I just get up and I go turn it, turn it off. And I tell him, go, go make yourself happy in another environment. Go figure out something else that you'd like to go do. Um, but you get up and you take action as opposed to doing a timeout. So it just that those restrictive type behaviors won't be effective in changing any type of behavior unless you're teaching some type of, of lesson, teaching some type of consequence to the behavior. Okay, this is so important, I think, for every parent to hear and know because how often do we spin our wheels just repeating the same things, the same lectures, the same punishments, the same, and nothing ever changes? So I think this is a really wise approach to be able to change that and alter behaviors, alter um, disciplines, alter you know, our parental natural instincts to have a better home environment. I mean, because that is the ultimate goal, right? We want our kids to grow up to be happy, healthy, contributing members of society that, you know, represent our family well when they step out into the world. And so this is so great. Thank you so much for teaching us all these wonderful things. And I'm sure you have so much more to teach us. So tell us, how can we find you? Sure. Uh, well, my my askmomparenting.com platform is up where you can download a free ebook on COVID parenting to help reduce some of those stresses and overwhelms of having children uh, learning at home and all of the other things that we're responsible for doing as parents. I can also offer a 20-minute free parenting consultation to just discuss any of the, the issues that are bothering you most, and we can decide if, if there's a fit for us to be able to work together. And that's, again, free for 20 minutes. Uh, but askmomparenting.com, and the book is on Amazon under Sue Donnellan or Secrets to Parenting Without Giving an F. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us today, Sue. It's been an honor. Thank you, Barbie Joe. I really enjoyed my time with you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Don't Get Lost in the Laundry. Don't forget to check out my website at barbiejoe.com. And if you liked this episode, you've got to subscribe. I'd love to have you join me. Bye for now. 